Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to talk to you tonight for the next little bit on the subject, looking for the lost. You may be seated. Thank you for braving this weather. We've been watching the weather all day, trying to make a decision to have church or not. And so it sounded like a good decision uh, later in the afternoon. And then here we are. But thank you. And my prayer tonight before church was, Lord, if you could keep 276 men in a hurricane safe in a storm and they all made it to shore on boards, on broken pieces of the ship and those who could swim, swam to shore, then you can keep your hand on all of our people wherever they are. So I believe that and I, I believe that God can take care of us no matter how bad things seem to, to look. Amen. You know, every one of us has a little bit of an eye for something. We're trained, either formally or informally, to look for items of interest to us. We tend to see what's important to us or familiar to us for various reasons. My mom has a cousin. I guess he's a, he would be a fourth cousin, but that doesn't exist. But he loves flea markets. And when he goes to the flea market, he knows exactly what to look for and there's no telling how much money he's made through the years because he has an eye for what has value at the flea market. Have you ever noticed how when you purchase a vehicle that you start seeing cars that are the same color as yours or the same make or model? You didn't know there were that many on the road till you bought a car that color and then everybody has one just like yours. That's just kind of how we are. Years ago when we lived in St. Louis, uh, my wife's mom was in town watching the boys. I think she, we were still there, but she was driving down the road in our minivan with all three boys in the car, and she saw some birds fly by, and she asked Ryan, our oldest son, Ryan, what kind of birds were those? And he said, I don't know, ma'am, all we're only trained to spot dove. <laughs> That's true. This past weekend, Brother Jim Booker and his wife Mary were in town preaching at our daughter church in Hiram. On Monday evening, my wife and I went out with them to eat, and we were reliving lots of old days. We've been friends for 40-plus years. And he said, you know, I've told a story about you a lot of places where I preached. He said, you were in Wisconsin preaching Sheaves for Christ kickoff rallies, and we were traveling around the state, putting a lot of miles on the car. And we were talking, and we'd be driving down the road, and you would interrupt the conversation to say, Jim, look, did you see that? pheasant in the field. He said there were three different kinds of birds. I really don't remember. Look at that. Did you see that, Jim? No, he didn't see that at all. Jim, that's a deer out there in the field. Do you see that deer? No, I don't see that. He said, I was too busy weeping over the loss, driving down the road, <laughs> and you were seeing all this wildlife in Wisconsin. Yeah, right, whatever. But whether I try to or not, I just, I, I like game, I like wildlife, and I see it. And if you're not a hunter or someone who likes to observe wildlife, you may never see that, but, but I just have an eye for that, and sometimes I interrupt all kinds of conversations with my family driving down the road because that's just something that I'm looking for whether I'm trying or not. We know that Jesus Christ came to this earth looking for the lost. He had an eye to spot 
a sinner. He had an eye to see someone who was hurting. In fact, in Matthew 9 and 9, the Bible said, Jesus passed from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Jesus and all these holy men of God are eating at a big house with wealthy Matthew with a bunch of bad people. Tax collectors, sinners. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Implying there must be something wrong with him for hanging out with people like that. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those that are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, and he probably was implying the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus did not come to this world for people who claimed to have it all together. He came for people who admitted that they were spiritually sick. He was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners in Matthew eleven nineteen. He's a friend of those kind of people. Aha, what a terrible person Jesus must be. And the implication was that if he was really holy, if he was really spiritual, he would never talk to people like that. You'll hear in this month, Luke 15 preached maybe more than once from different perspectives. But Luke 15 opens with people drawing near. Luke 15, 1, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Now you would think that if someone was holy, and Jesus was perfectly holy, that he would repel sinners. But he didn't come across as someone who is holier than thou. All of his holiness created a magnetism for people who wanted what he had, wanted to be what he was. The Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. When you continue to read the story, you find out that Jesus then told those three famous stories about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. And those stories were told to help explain that God does not hate sinners, but he loves sinners. All of heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. And Luke 15 is the basis of our celebration every Sunday of what's with a party because we believe that we should be the kind of church that celebrates the things that rejoice the heart of God. And if all heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents, what should we do when they take that next step of baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost? The Apostle Paul, looking back on his own life and on the effect of his ministry, said in 1 Timothy 1 and 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners 
of whom I am chief. Paul would say that I was a pattern for everyone that would ever come. And if I'm the worst sinner that ever was, and no one was as bad as me, that's how he saw it. If he could save me, he could save anyone. In Luke 19.1, our text tonight, this passage, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. He find out that he didn't stay there very long. There was a man named Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He's a professional man. He's not down and out. He is very successful. Now I know you see that in the text, but I want to spotlight that tonight because sometimes we think the only people that have a hunger for God are the people who are dead broke, addicted, down and out, have expended all their money and are out of options. And we sang a song when I was growing up, which is not a bad song, when you've tried everything and everything has failed, try Jesus. Well, that's okay, but it's also okay to try him first. Zacchaeus is successful, rich, and rich people have that God-shaped hole in their heart just like poor people do. There are no gated communities in hell. It will be a place of torment for all people. And the weight of sin is heavy for all sinners, whether they're super successful or just down and out people. Now I know the Bible said that riches can be deceitful, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, that they have to unload themselves spiritually of everything they have, everything they've accumulated to come to God, not with, with what they bring to the table, but just as I am, right, without one plea. They have to recognize their spiritual poverty, as Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit because you've got to recognize that you are spiritually dead broke. Zacchaeus is rich, but he's hungry for God. Verse 3 says, he sought to see who Jesus was. He wanted to catch a glimpse of him, but he could not because of the crowd for he was of short stature. Man, I feel his pain. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. You have to think about Zacchaeus humbling himself. You know, a rich guy, I don't think he was a teenager, probably not a young adult to have accumulated that much money. Doubt he was in his early 20s. I can't prove that, but I don't see Zacchaeus being that wealthy that early in life, especially in those days. But he just kind of throws all of that aside, and he runs ahead of the crowd, and he climbs up in a tree. I mean, there he is, perched up in this sycamore tree, waiting for Jesus to pass by, and I'm struck by that effort. And I'll never forget a sermon Brother Joel preached, my son, about Zacchaeus, that he couldn't see Jesus for people. And you know, there's a lot of backsliders that we're praying for this month, that they, they cannot see Jesus for the people that stand between them and God. They got hung up on someone they thought was a hypocrite or someone that hurt them or someone that was inconsistent. And they look at the church and they can't see Jesus for the people in the church that are between them and Jesus. So they're all caught up in that. 
And if you see Jesus, if I see Jesus, we've really got to get over people if we're going to see Jesus. Because at some point in our life, someone's going to do something to us that's going to offend us and we have to make up our mind whether we're going to deal with that offense and get over it or we're going to be lost because people have come between us and Jesus. Well, I'd hate to think that a hypocrite was closer to Jesus than me, that they were between me and the Lord. And I've said numbers of times that I would rather go to church with the hypocrite than to go to hell with one. So take your pick, pick your poison. If you think the church has hypocrites in it, well, go back and read the Bible. And there was an Achan in Israel, right? There was a Judas among the 12. They, why didn't, didn't Jesus, why wasn't he spiritual enough to weed Judas out early on? Ananias and Sapphira in the church and False teachers creeping in. Suddenly, the Bible says, as long as we're on this earth, there's going to be somebody claiming to be a Christian who is not. And if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to get over them to see Jesus. Amen. There's a lot of people not serving God today because they can't see Jesus. The people, for whatever reason, hurt, Fence, hypocrisy or perceived hypocrisy. Well, verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now I know that this is a story that some of you learned in Sunday school. And if you were in my wife's class, when she was a Sunday school teacher, she probably sang, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Can I get a witness? And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. This is not in my notes. This came by inspiration. <laughs> and when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. And the only reason I know that song is because I learned it as a kid. So I know, I mean, all of these are old stories, right? But this is a well-worn story among us. But I want you to understand that with all of the people around Jesus who had shown so much interest in him passing through Jericho, other people that wanted to hear him teach, that wanted to see him. There's one guy who went to an extraordinary effort to get in a place where he could get over people to see Jesus. He knew he didn't deserve to see him. He was a sinner and he knew it. But Jesus, of all those people, singles out the sinner. And that's the essence of my message tonight. Now, you have an eye for something. And I want you to understand and for us to remember that Jesus Christ has an eye for lost people. He sees Zacchaeus. Come down, I must go to your house. He knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. And he knows where every other sinner is right now. 
He knows where every backslider is, geographically, emotionally, spiritually. He knows exactly where they are. They're not lost to him. I mean, they're lost spiritually, you know, in sin, but he knows where they are. Come down, I'm going to your house. Isn't it interesting that Jesus did not invite Zacchaeus to church? And I'm sure there were synagogues in Jericho. A lot of priests lived in Jericho. All you had to do is have 10 men and you could have a synagogue anywhere in the world. And Jesus could have said, you know, why don't you come? Next week, the choir's going to be singing. They're probably going to change keys during that second song. And if they do, you know it's going to happen. But he said, you know, I want to come to your house. I want to come get on your turf. And Zacchaeus, the Bible says in verse 6, he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Why do we think that sinners don't want Jesus? Why do we think that rich people don't want Jesus? This was scandalous though. Everyone knew who Zacchaeus was in Jericho. Spies, tax collector, rich man. We all hate rich people, right? No, only if you're poor. You think they ought to just split it with you, right? I will not go any farther into that. And it was believed that he had stolen money. And he probably had. Verse 7, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Once again, here's the perspective of Jesus. He's looking for the lost. And here's the perspective of the allegedly religious people who think that God doesn't want anything to do with people like that. And they're certainly so holy, they don't want to be contaminated by bad people like that. But Jesus has an eye for sinners. And to these superficially religious people, that's a flaw. But to God, it's something important. And then I want you to see in verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if, that's why I said it was believed he had stolen, if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now the way you know repentance is complete when it doesn't end at the altar. When what the Bible said, you bring forth fruit, meat to repentance. You actually live a changed life. Because repentance is not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow works repentance. Godly sorrow causes you to make that change of mind, a heart and life direction away from sin and toward God, and there's a, a legitimate, genuine change. You turn around. You don't keep living like you've lived. And we know that Zacchaeus was sincere because of his actions of repentance that he would make restitution to people he had wronged. What a great testimony of your changed life to go back and apologize to people that you've hurt, to go back and make things right with people that you've wronged. I'll let that just sit a minute or two. Verse 9. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a simple verse. We all get this. That was his mission. He came into the world to save sinners. So let me ask you this. When you leave church, who are you looking for? Are you looking for a friend? Are you looking for pretty people? Are you looking for acceptance by the people in your world? Think that peer pressure is just for middle schoolers or high schoolers? Afraid not, folks. I see it everywhere at all ages. Are you looking for the signs of a person in need? Maybe a tear in the corner of the eye or downcast countenance or something they share with you. You see, if you have a hunter's eye, that means somewhere along the line you started looking and maybe you didn't see whatever animal it was that you like to see in the woods. But over time, you started to see and they say, you know, like, you don't look for a whole deer, you look for an ear or the tail or a leg or something that just looks a little bit different because you may not see the whole animal at one time. And with a sinner, you may not see the whole picture at one time, but, but you'll see clues, just like people in law enforcement are trained to look for clues. Now, I'm not advocating evangelistic dating. I'm not recommending compromising your faith to be a friend of sinners. It was impossible for Jesus to have done that. But he still ate with them, went to their house, got on their turf, he came to this world looking for the lost. So let's talk about when you come to church. When do you come to church? Who are you looking for? Are you looking for familiar friends, family members? That's great. I think it's good to come to church, hang out with friends, hang out with family members. But if we have this little safety mode where it's us four and no more, if we're prone to holy huddles that block entrances and altars, if we're here to talk about everything and see everything but lost people, we've missed the mark. I've only been here 23 years, so I've seen a few of those conversations. When Guests walk right by people who are preoccupied with talking about something, not something evil, but certainly missing the mark of why we're here. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for greeting one another and fellowshipping, but not to the exclusion of looking for the lost. What, what if, especially on Sunday, what if on Sunday you kind of did a 360 I don't mean on a skateboard or a snowboard. What if you just kind of discreetly looked around like maybe this way and this way would be a little less conspicuous and you just looked around. Uh, Pastor 
approached me at the business meeting at General Conference and he said, my son came to town on a Wednesday night. Besides the people at the doors, no one spoke to him. And I thought, well, I could see how that happened. Without being defensive, I, could, I thought to myself, well, he could have wanted it to be that way. Could have came in late, left early, sat where no one was. That's possible on a Wednesday night. I mean, we're low attendance tonight, you know, storms outside. But on a Wednesday night, it could be a little scattered out. On Sunday, the problem is we don't know everybody. And we're embarrassed that we might say, Hi, is this your first time? And they might say back, No, I've been coming here two years. Can I get a witness? It's happened on probably most of us. But that's probably a risk worth taking. Last night at family prayer, standing at the door talking to Brother Walker for a moment, and, and a young man walked in. And uh, when he walked in, I said, Hi, good to see you. And I thought, Is he part of a, one of our daughter churches, Spanish church? And, and then I thought, I don't recognize him. He came in and knelt down and prayed, and I walked up to where he was, and I said, I am so sorry, but I don't believe I've met you. So I won't go any further in the conversation. It was a great conversation. But he's been coming for three weeks. He came a year ago. He's been coming for three weeks. I've not had an opportunity to meet him. I'm not going to say where he sits, but he didn't say if we were nice or not. <laughs> I think we've been pretty nice, not naughty, you know. So Santa Claus is going to be happy with all of us. We've been talking in our, in our meetings, pastors' meetings and our leadership meetings about owning your section. And, you know, we could give somebody a badge, say, like, I'm the sheriff of this section, the last four rows, and we may formalize this, but, but what, you know, we'd like to sit where we are. You notice tonight I didn't say, all right, I want everybody to come into this middle section. First of all, I didn't want anybody to backslide over having to move. Get a bad spirit. You like where you're sitting, and that's okay. I think you can go to heaven from there. No problem. But when people walk in the door for the first time, they're not sure where to sit, and they probably, if they're alone, just one person, they're going to sit by themselves and whatever. But, but I want to just suggest to you that when we come to church, when we go into the world, we're looking for the lost. But when we come to church, we're also looking for the lost. Amen? And when you see them, you know, if they're praying, go offer to pray with them. And you can say, is there anything I can pray with you about? And you know, at Atlanta West, we always say, meet them at the point of need. Please do not <clears throat> assume that they do not have the Holy Ghost. If they're praying, ask them if there's something you can pray with them about. And whatever that is, pray with them about that. And if they show spiritual hunger, then say, have you received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues? And you can go from there. Amen. Lead them to repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and to receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, ladies and gentlemen... The early church did not have problems with growth, but we do. I believe in lifestyle evangelism where we turn sinners into friends and friends into disciples. That's what discipleship is. But in terms of conversions, 
In the book of Acts, they went everywhere preaching the word. They went everywhere and told everyone. They taught and preached and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. They did not always have time to build a 25-year relationship before they invited them to church. So don't wait that long. If you see an open door, walk in that open door because sometimes the longer you wait, the more awkward it's going to be to share the gospel. It just depends. That's why you need to do what Isaiah 28 speaks about where you try to understand the nature of the seed and don't be the person that only has one tool because if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. It's up to us to have the wisdom to read people and so we can reach them. That's a whole other message years ago. Amen. So Bible studies and testimonies are extremely powerful and we should do that. The Bible said in Matthew 5 that we're the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth, and if salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything. If a light is under the bushel, it's not good for anything. And I really wonder if the modern day church is salt with no flavor, is a light under a bushel of political correctness that we've been lied to where people have told us that you don't talk about religion and politics. Who told you that? We talk about faith to everyone, everywhere. Like Jesus, we're looking for the lost. But church in general has lost its influence because it's no longer different. It's not a contrast culture as Jesus intended it to be. It's bland like they are spiritually, but we're supposed to have a savor to us, something different about us, a light that shines in the darkness, not hidden from people because we're clandestine Christians, right? Camouflage Christians. The most powerful force in the world is the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came because he loved us. And I want to quickly share a few welcome home testimonies of people who shared their story with me.